Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Leanne Moriarty is the author of Apples Never Fall. She is the Australian author of eight internationally best-selling novels, Three Wishes, The Last Anniversary, What Alice Forgot, The Hypnotist Love Story, Nine Perfect Strangers, and the number one New York Times bestsellers, The Husband's Secret, Big Little Lies, and Truly Madly Guilty. Her books have been translated into over 40 languages and sold more than 20 million copies. Big Little Lies and Truly Madly Guilty both debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list, the first time this was ever achieved by an Australian author. Big Little Lies was adapted into a multi-award-winning HBO series, I've seen every single episode, with a star-studded cast, including Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon. Hulu is adapting Nine Perfect Strangers into a limited series starring Nicole Kidman and Melissa McCarthy, which also just came out. In fact, the day we did our podcast was when it was released. Her new novel, Apples Never Fall, is coming out now. Leanne lives in Sydney, Australia, together with her husband, son, and daughter. Welcome, Leanne. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Apples Never Fall. Thank you. My pleasure. 
I have to say your unboxing video on Facebook was one of the funniest I've ever seen. <laughs> Thank you. I wasn't sure if it was too silly, but we decided it made, seemed to make people laugh. So uh, no, that's so great to have your daughter do it and then the box and then all the additions. Anyway, it was great. You were hilarious. I was like, oh, I, I mean, just very endearing. Good, <laughs> good. So apples never fall. Let's talk about this. I know you've written so many other amazing books that I have inhaled and also watched and all the all that good stuff. But would you mind giving listeners a, a little sneak peek into what Apples Never Fall is about? Yes. So Apples Never Fall is the story of the Delaney family, a family of tennis players. And what happens when Joy Delaney, who is 69, goes missing and her husband Stan becomes the chief suspect in her possible murder and her four adult children have to deal with the possibility that he may, that their father may have killed their mother and factions form and and then they obviously have to re-examine their parents' marriage and everything they know about their family history. Wow. One of the things that I loved about this book was that you kept giving us the vantage point of other sort of peripheral people, like the Uber driver and the waitress, and maybe they interact with just one of the characters, but you get this, like, we're all insiders, like outsiders looking in rather, right? And you get to, you get that sense when you have all these other people showing us the story. It's a cool Nice. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I did that actually with my very first novel with Three Wishes. And then I accidentally did it again because I just enjoy, I enjoyed that. And actually when I was doing it, I was thinking, I oh, shouldn't do this again because you did that before. But then it allowed you to to move the story forward. Well, you see, you didn't even have to say anything. <laughs> Nobody, some people Nobody might not knows. have known Nobody that. knows it was years ago <laughs> that I did that. <laughs> But it's so great. I mean, I was just, I had dinner with a bunch of women writers last night and we were all talking, we were at a restaurant and we were all talking about how we were always like making up stories about all the people around us and wondering. And that curiosity, we were like, is it just people who like to write that are this (laughs) curious about other people? Are we always just so in need of a story that we have to make it up? I think it's a natural part of um, being human, the desire. Yeah, <laughs> make stories, and I know my own mother at restaurants will often she'll she'll have a vague look come across her face, and you can see she's eavesdropping in the table next to us. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it, everybody does it. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just the writers who then take it and put it into you know yes, novels. The, the and writers, then, you know, it, yes. <laughs> Yeah, using <laughs> this material. I thought it was so great the way you depicted Joy, and it was almost like made me very sad. Her sort of empty nest, dumb, and how you just really encapsulated that feeling of emptiness and trying to pass the time. And I, I felt so sad for her when you have her like listening to podcasts so that she can like relate to her daughter and her migraines a little more by listening to the podcast about migraines and then using all those words. And the daughter's like, can you not do this, please? <laughs> um, it's just, uh, I feel like, especially at this time of year, this is like, for this book to come out when so many parents are dropping their kids at college or saying goodbye. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter if they're gone forever or gone for the year. It's that same sense of sort of longing and, you know, what do you do with your time? So I felt like you got that. Oh, thank yeah. you. I can't, I can't quite imagine it yet for myself. And, and it wasn't something I, I never set out to, I never think, okay, I'm going to write about uh, the emptiness syndrome. I just had this premise and then there she is. And then I think, oh, well, I guess this is what she's, what she's feeling it sort of evolves as a, as I'm writing the story and then I'm imagining it for myself for what it will be like for me one day I'd like them to stay at home forever 
<laughs> I just I interviewed someone earlier today who in her book, the mother says, well, how about you just stuff me like a, you know, like an animal once I pass away, you can just keep me on the couch. Like, All right. You know, <laughs> stranger, stranger yeah, ideas yeah. across my mind, you know. That's funny. So how what how did you come up with the premise of this book? Like what was the part of it that was so interesting? Was it Savannah like coming at the front door and like picking this house seemingly at random or was it the four kids or like which part or is it a part we can't discuss because it's too far along? Three strands. So the first strand was that like Joy, I had Joy receive a pair of fancy headphones from her husband and my husband gave me some fancy headphones, which got me into podcasts. Actually, actually came a little bit late to podcasts, but now I'm an avid listener. I can't cook dinner without listening to a podcast now. And so the first ones I listened to were true crime podcasts. And there are a few cases and also ones that I'd read about in the paper. But I'm now, I was originally thinking I would give details of those, of the particulars of those cases, because some of them are cold cases dating back years. But then very recently I saw Amanda Knox and her reaction to Stillwater and it stopped me in my tracks a little bit thinking it's really not the right thing to do to give specifics of something, even though I've definitely not taken anybody else's true story, but even saying this inspired me in a sort of cheerful promotional way now feels wrong. But so, there, and anyway, there were multiple cases really that gave me this premise of what would you do, how would you feel if your mother was missing and your father was the chief suspect. And sadly, actually, that's not really an unusual situation. It's happening all the time that the women are going missing in countries all around the world and the chief suspect is. Uh, we're, we're all sitting there watching the news and thinking, well, we know. So that was one premise. And so originally I was thinking... So that's your parents. And then I thought would be more interesting if there are multiple children because then you can have factions form and one sibling can react in one way and one the other way. So that's one side of it. There was a newspaper article I read where an elderly couple let a young woman into their house and then various things happened. So I liked the idea of somebody knocking on the door, which is, again, really the idea is comes out, you know, the stranger knocks on the door has been used a lot of times, but I just had that. And then I had no idea how she would relate to my story. And the third little strand is that I had taken a year off from writing or a year off where, because normally I have a book out every two years, but I had asked for an extra year. And so I was thinking that in that year, I would just write, I'd get myself into writing without having the stress of a deadline. And I asked my sister Jackie, who is the author, Jacqueline Moriarty, to give me some writing prompts. And so she texted me a little, just three or four lines, which was a bike lying on the grass with a few apples spilled next to it. And so that became the opening scene of the book. So I was really meant to write a piece from it, but it turns out I don't actually know how to do that. I just started writing a novel. <laughs> so that's wow. a long answer well, to that question. <laughs> no, that's it's super interesting. I mean, 
that's a huge, you know, encouragement for people to use writing prompts. I get, yeah. I like subscribe to one of these things where every day I get a writing prompt and every day I delete it. So. Do you, do you? That's interesting. Yeah. I, yeah, because that's exactly the sort of thing I thought I would do in this year because I was calling it the year of joy. And in fact, that's what I had. I was calling the new novel the year of joy. And that's how I came up with the name Joy Delay. Oh, and I was thinking I like just write for the joy of writing but yeah, I'm not so interested in just, I couldn't write just a little piece. I wanted to write a story. I thought you were going to say you took the third year off so you could get better at tennis. <laughs> well, oh, so that, I guess, yeah, I could, I could answer this question forever. So a fourth <laughs> strand is that my son is quite a good tennis player. So I was having, actually having a tennis lesson and try and keep up with him. And while I was having the lesson, I was thinking about, my story. And I had thought to myself, I would like my family to run a family business, which was really mainly so that I could keep them all in one place because, you know, the convenience so that you don't have them all going off to different jobs. So I was, so I thought to myself, I don't know, I'll have them run a tennis school then. And so then the funny thing is then as uh, the days go by, I think, well, I guess if they're running a tennis school, they're really into tennis obviously. So perhaps they were former tennis players, perhaps they wanted all their children to be competitive tennis players. So again, tennis then became a big part of the story. And the betrayal of the, you know, rising star who then, you know, the dad sort of never gets over. Yeah. These, you know, dot, 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 question mark, through lines, stories, which I loved. I love it. I I am a huge tennis player player myself not that good anymore but I don't know I'm I love to play I play a lot and my husband actually taught tennis professionally for over a decade and yeah he was really really good like ranked and you know all that good stuff so when I found tennis there actually is surprisingly little tennis in fiction I would think that it would be more there's so many like analogies and scenes so I was like oh yeah that's another I love and it worked which you don't realize you know once you start thinking about tennis how it does it does work so well and created so like your husband, were talking to competitive tennis players, so people who are really talented. I was just so fascinated by how you can have so much talent and put so much work into it, but obviously only the tiniest percentage actually make it to the very top. And so how do you feel when you put everything into it and you are that good and then injury or, or whatever, for whatever reason, you don't make it? And talking to former players... One in particular, just I actually had no idea of the level of sacrifice that goes into it for the young, young kids and the grief that he, this particular player, it felt like grief to me the way he was talking about it when he was making that decision to give up tennis. It was fascinating. I agree. No, we've talked a lot about the demands on the people, even the men on the circuit and how it, difficult it is and how it's so hard even to make money is right. it even like you know, the two player number 200 That's relative right. to number one let alone number 500 and we're always like watching people on tv or at tournaments I'm like well do you think you could beat him and he's like no he's like the <laughs> fifth best in the world you know and I'm like oh, <laughs> Yeah, but it's true. I mean, and the demands on the body as you get older, I mean, this is like off topic now, but it's like, you know, his friends and him, it's just like, you know, like any professional athlete after a while, really, you have to just like shake the kids when they're younger and be like, okay, just so you know, (laughs) like 20 years. 
You're not going to be able to get out of bed very easily. Anyway, kind of like Stan, honestly, after he fixed his knees and, you know, he's still hobbling around and they said, don't run anymore. And of course he's like right back on the court. There's just something that like calls you back. It's just such a passion. And I just love that for, you know, in Truly Madly Guilty, I wrote about a cellist. So I just love seeing other people's passions and, you know, and obviously it helps with the story if there's something that you're obsessed with and that, that really drives you. Yes. And tell me a little about this whole, you know, carrying on from the pain of like Stan's knees and everything, like having one of the sisters be a physio, like a physical therapist and having her like hope that people get hurt. (laughs) I thought that was so funny that she's like starting her own business and is like, oh good, you know, it's getting, you know, slippery or maybe someone will slip today or I don't know. Just like hoping for the demise of people in her community. Yeah. Well, that was just, I I can't actually remember why I decided to make her a physiotherapist, but I remember standing on the sidelines talking to a, a mother while our children played sport together and she was a physiotherapist. So just talking about what the sort of things you need to do in the beginning and how you go along to sports fields, exactly like where we were, hoping to you know create a name for yourself. She didn't actually say hoping for people to get in. Well, she didn't say it out loud. We just got to like speak into her head, which is even better. The things that people don't say out loud, right? That's that's even more fun. And what about the migraines? Do you get migraines or was this just another like plot enhancer? No, that was or? just an, I think just an article I read. It was just a really well-written first person article, I think, something like that, that just made me think the impact that it had on her life. So all my health issues that I've had are things that you, you get better. So, so people with chronic conditions, that it really affects everything about your life. I was just really taken by, by the way this person's life had been affected by it. And also, the, see, everything that I've ever had, there's a cure. You know, you go to the doctor and you get fixed. But knowing that these migraines can strike, just the emotional side of it. There's a really great book by Tia Williams, and now I'm like blanking on the name. Usually I remember. Oh, no, I'm just titles. actually reading it right now. Oh, great. Because I thought, oh, she's writing about migraines, and she's actually doing it. Yes. She's probably affected by migraines. She's doing it better than I did yes. for, for Brooke. Yeah, so I'm only in the very early chapters. And what's it called? The Seven Days of Seven Days of June. Yeah, Seven Days of June. Yeah, I kept wanting to say 50 days, but I knew it wasn't 50. Okay. No, I had her on this podcast also and was talking to her about her migraine. Oh, really? You can go back and listen in your spare time as you're cooking dinner. You You know what? I don't want to listen because now I'm thinking if I listened, then I'd think, oh, I should have done this with with Brooke. You know, once you finish a novel. Too late. (laughs) You're still holding on to those characters and then you think, oh, you do the very best you can with research and all that, but there's really nothing compares with experiencing it yourself. That's true, I guess. Although you made it seem incredibly real. So, you you know, at least, I don't know. I was glad I didn't, wasn't suffering myself at the moment. So that's good. (laughs) I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> so you, I've, only, I've had one that was like I had just had a baby and they thought it had something to do with like the chem, you know, you know, and like your body's just so messed up from baby stuff anyway. But I, like I could close my eyes and I would still see all these things like that were all over my computer. I'm not explaining this very well, but your vision, my vision was totally affected. And I tried to close one eye and the other eye and they were like still there. And I was like, I can't see my screen has like, I don't know why I told that story, but yeah. Anyway. In general, I'm fine, you know. <laughs> so your sister gives you the writing yeah. prompt and you have this opening scene. When did you know, like, all the plot lines that would follow? How much did you just kind of do on the go versus sit down and, like, figure out ahead of time? And then once you got into it, like, how long did it take to write this? Um, so I definitely do it all on the go. So I had, so I have, I know that Joy has disappeared, but I don't know where she is. And I don't know how this girl who knocked on the door a year ago, how that feeds into the story. So I love the fact that I don't plan because it makes my writing day interesting because I think I wonder what's going to happen today. But it's also a scary way to write because then I have to think, I hope something happens today. So there's a slight terror the whole time I'm writing if I can pull it off, if I can work out how they'll all tie together. And so I have lots, as I'm, as I'm writing, I'm just thinking maybe it will be this, maybe it will be that. And then it just slowly evolves. And, and sometimes there's a little, you know, I might be out for a walk and I have a little spark and think this I know. And in fact, with The Husband's Secret, where I had different storylines, I can always remember exactly the intersection where I'd stopped at, where I finally worked it out, which is why I always hate it if anybody um, in reviews said about that book, oh, it was so predictable. I think, how could you predict it? I couldn't predict it. Um, <laughs> going to happen, aren't you clever? Uh, but anyway, and so, yeah, so, but I never want to give the impression that that means it's just all flowing it, because obviously as I'm working it out as I go along, that means I have to go back and fix things. So I have a se- separate document called Things I Need to Fix. And once I know how it's all going to work out, then I need to go back and put in, you know, little, what are they called? I'm saying red flags, but I mean red herrings. Is that the word? Red herrings. Yes, 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 yes. I didn't actually, I didn't know what you meant, but yes, red herrings. Um, there's another word. They lead you, they lead you astray yes, in different yes. directions. And also there's another word. I'm at that age where words are disappearing. You know, you're putting little little things in. Clues? Sorry. Clues. Clues. There's something else that you'll think no. of afterwards. I don't mean Easter eggs. That's not that. I don't mean that. Anyway, <laughs> signposts. I mean 
Uh, oh. Yes, things like that were, and and little things, and some little things, especially with this book that I'd written as part of the story, which I really enjoy. Actually, I really loved writing this book more than I think because I had a little bit more time, which were just part of the story. And then as I wrote, I thought actually that has more significance now. I can make that more significant, and I enjoy that because I didn't have to go back and put it in so it flowed naturally you weren't sort of having to shove in a jigsaw piece um so that's such a pleasure when that happens interesting so you've written many books they've become so successful like how do you feel about still doing publicity like how do you feel about like getting on zooms and having to talk about this book after so many books and after all of the success like you know, how do you deal with it? How do you fit it into the day? How do you feel about the whole, because it's part of being an author, right? Is having to get yes. out there and like talk about and it. It's interesting. It's not something I've really worked out in my own head yet. So first of all, I enjoy talking. I enjoy talking to you because you're lovely. And Thank you. So, so this is perfectly <laughs> lovely. It's afterwards that I'll then go through self-loathing and think of some, I don't know, I'll just loathe myself for something I said, which I, I need to get over that uh, sort of agony of self-consciousness about it all once once it's done and so I could never go I couldn't talk to you and then sit down and write because I've talked too much about myself and the whole point of writing is to lose your sense of self and so right now I feel I'm performing as a writer rather than actually writing So I do, it it is part of the job. I I love doing events and I love meeting readers. That's a really special part of the job for me and I'm really sad that this time around there won't be any face-to-face events with readers. So I'm really upset about that. I'm looking forward to when I can meet readers again. Yeah, but the publicity side of it, I'm grateful too because also I have a background in advertising and marketing. So I can't pretend I'm the sort of person who is, you know, I understand the way the world works and I want people to know about my books. I just wish I wasn't the product. That's that's <laughs> where the agony of self-consciousness. So I feel like maybe when I'm 60, I'll work it all out and be really cool and I'll have lost all the, the strangeness about this part of it. Hmm. I feel like I always used to think that it was just age that would fix things, <laughs> that I had yeah. like, it doesn't. No, I know. Like, I know. Something has to happen. I I did all these interviews with my grandmother before she passed away and actually both my grandmothers about eating because they were always like, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. And I'm like, you guys are in your 90s. Like, does this never end, right? So, and I did this whole survey of all these women in the nursing home. And for most of them, it never ended. So I was like, at the time I was, I think in my 30s or something, and I was like, all right, well, I'm going to have to get over like feeling guilty about dessert now because if I, if nothing happens between yes. now and then, like it's just not going to resolve because I got- That's such a good point. So I shouldn't wait till I should sort it out myself. Yeah, you better get on that. <laughs> like, you know. Well, I had always thought there's a certain type of woman who comes to my events and I- at first I thought she was in her 50s, but I think they're actually in their 60s. And there's this wonderful age where they're they're really cool and they've seemed to have just got themselves together before, you know, you have limitations of, of old age and without and I had this theory that you lose all their anxieties, that there's some age where they just just don't seem to to they just look great and they don't seem to care anymore. They're just having a good time. So I'm looking forward to that. But you you made a good point that I've got to actually make that happen myself. 
Maybe not. Maybe, I mean, maybe it's just eating that never gets resolved. Who knows? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe one day we'll both wake up and anxiety will be gone. (laughs) But it's so deeply entrenched. I don't know how to like pull it out. (laughs) The eating things, it's ridiculous that they're they're in their 90s still thinking about, well, dessert, have you dessert? Right? Like who's looking? What does it matter? Right? She was, my grandmother went to Curves until like the week that she passed away. I know. I'm like, Goggy, like what? It's okay. (laughs) Anyway, so I'm like throwing in the towel now. I'm like, forget it. (laughs) Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? So, well, first of all, for very young aspiring authors, I always say lead an interesting life. So, you know, do multiple jobs, travel when you're allowed to travel, take a if um, you're offered to take a journey across dangerous terrain, take that journey. Although I wouldn't say that to my own children, so now I... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, I'm not, I'm not letting my kids no, listen to this no, one. That's Sorry. right. So, no, other people. <laughs> other people's kids can go across really dangerous terrain, yeah, but, but don't blame, don't blame no, us. <laughs> no, that's right. So my point really is just to, you need lots of material to call upon um, when you sit down to write and read lots and write for the pleasure of writing. I think a lot of aspiring authors get caught up in the the industry, in industry questions, and should it be double-spaced? And how do I make sure nobody steals my my ideas? There's always people, people love that. They love that concrete bit of advice about, you know, that strange thing of posting it, your manuscript to yourself and not opening it, which I don't even know if that if that works. But people think that's something, oh, yes, okay, I'll do that. We are really, you've got to sit down and write. That's the main thing. Oh, and so, of course, it's hard to sit down and write, especially for your first novel, to keep going. It's not hard to perhaps to write your first chapter, but to finish something is difficult. And so my first book I wrote as part of a master's degree, so it just meant that that was like homework. And so I had people each week, so I had to do it. But the same could be achieved from joining a writer's group or having even just a friend just saying something that makes you accountable. So in a way, I hate to bring it back to food, but in a way it is a bit like being on a diet that, you know, these these group programs work if, you, if you're telling people how you're going rather than just quietly sitting there. Of course, that will work for some people, but if you're finding yourself frustrated, then I think it helps to have a friend or join a writing group or whatever works for you just to make you, make you finish it. Accountability is always is always key. Can you give us just a sneak peek at what the next book is, or do you not know yet? No, I have nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. No, so I don't know. I don't know. But I read. I just read that this will be developed into what TV or a movie or something attached. Heyday is attached. Yes, or something David like Heyman, who produced the Harry Potter films and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and favorite movie of mine, Marriage Story, has uh, optioned it. I think I've. I, I've become the TV lady, so um, I think it's most likely to be TV. I don't mind either way. It's very exciting. Wow. And uh, as I was driving here, I'm in LA right now, by the way, there was like a huge billboard for Nine Perfect Strangers. And I was like trying, I was like, oh, it'd be so funny if I could grab my phone and take a picture. But then I was like, then I'm going to crash and not get to do this podcast at all. So forget it. I'll just, you know. But that's exciting too. So much on the horizon. It's literally today that it starts. So it'll be. Oh, well, there you yeah. go. 
Excellent. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, That's excellent. Well, thank you for all this time of yours. So generous of you and best of luck. I'm excited to, you know, watch this launch and all the excitement around that. And no, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 